Coming up on the Rami Lavie podcast, football is back. I went through each team, each division, looked at their over-under for their win total, and told you what I think they're going to do this season. Also, I previewed Thursday night football, the game between the Buffalo Bills and the LA Rams. I did talk about the Yankees a little bit on their disappointing weekend in Tampa, but I also opened by talking about something interesting that we see with contract situations in the NFL and how the Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert trades can equate to that uh Kind of an interesting story. So all that and more coming up next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experience experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today episode 90 of the rami la vie podcast it is presented as always by BetterHelp. go to betterhelp.com and use my first name rami r-a-m-i at checkout for 10% off your first month of online therapy um, I wanted to start the podcast today with something interesting, and it's something that it's not something that I don't talk about often on this podcast, something that I've actually talked about before, um, but I think in context, it's a little bit different uh, this time around. So as human beings, I feel like we tend to identify certain um, patterns, and then based on those patterns, we try and figure out what's going to happen in the future. It's actually a mechanism that we do in order to protect ourselves originally, right? Human beings were trying to figure out what was going on, and then thus protecting themselves in the future and trying to uh, set themselves up for the future. And this is something that we do in life all the time. Uh, And we make assumptions about certain things based on patterns of the past. And I think in sports, we tend to do this uh, a lot also because we think when something happens, it's going to history is going to repeat itself. uh, And based on this, if X happens, Y is going to happen, um, etc. And so in sports, especially where we see it as an entertainment industry, as an industry that follows a certain blueprint, and we less see it as human beings making independent decisions, uh, we tend to think that things will follow a certain path based on things that have happened in the past. So what am I talking about? When Rudy Gobert was traded from the Utah Jazz to the Minnesota Timberwolves, a lot of people said, well, if Rudy Gobert is worth four first-round picks, plus players, plus swaps, plus another uh, first-round pick that they took in the draft this year, What's Donovan Mitchell going to be worth? 
what's a Kevin Durant trade going to look like? And when we looked at all those things, people were like, oh my God, this is crazy. Maybe that's why Kevin Durant didn't even get traded because people were looking at this saying, how could he possibly get traded? He's worth so much. This guy must be impossible to trade. When in reality, what happened was a GM, like the GM of the Cavaliers said, just because the Timberwolves were stupid enough to give you four first round picks, another pick, more assets in Malik Beasley. Obviously, they also traded Patrick Beverly. And then ultimately, obviously, that was moved for more assets uh, to the Lakers. That doesn't mean that I'm going to make the same mistake and do the same thing. Just because that GM did something that I deem to be stupid, I'm not going to repeat it. It doesn't set a precedent. Every single time, there's a new precedent set. Yet, in the media, people will like to come on the air and say, oh my God, look, if Donovan Mitchell is worth that, or if Rudy Gobert is worth that, what is Donovan Mitchell going to be worth? If he's worth that, what's Kevin Durant going to be worth? And it's a talking point. It's something for us to say. But I don't think that's always necessarily true. I think around the league, a lot of times, they're looking around going, hey, why would you do that? Why would you trade all that? Maybe some of the other GMs are looking at the Timberwolves and saying, I don't understand why you would do that. You're kind of ruining the market for us. But at the same time, they could just come back to the Jazz and say, well, we're not going to give up that even for Donovan Mitchell. And that's how a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who probably has a brighter future, is a more built for the NBA Today player than Rudy Gobert and is younger in his career, signed for longer term. All of a sudden, he can get traded for theoretically less than what Rudy Gobert got traded, only three picks and two swaps. So there's another development happening, and this is in the NFL, that I think we tend to use a similar logic to. And I want to kind of see if maybe we can figure out what's going to happen based on what's happened so far, but not do it in a way where it's like, oh, if this happened, this must happen. When Deshaun Watson was traded to the Cleveland Browns, obviously that was a decision the Browns made. And if a franchise is going to make that decision to commit to Deshaun Watson like that, it's going to be a tough decision to make. This is a guy who's coming off of a year where he hadn't played at all. And obviously they knew allegations were coming to him and there were going to be a serious suspension, which ultimately came down as an 11-game suspension on Deshaun Watson, which might have been even shorter than people would have anticipated. So at this point, he's not going to have played in a year and 11 games by the time he plays a game for the Cleveland Browns. With all that said, the Browns decided, once they signed him, to give him a $230 million contract and fully guarantee every penny of it. And not only that, they decided to backload the contract knowing that in the first year he'd likely see a suspension so he'd lose the minimal amount of money possible and make as much money from his contract as possible. Now, whether you agree with the moral standpoint of this or not is not the debate for now. I personally think that's crazy. Why are you protecting a guy who's obviously done something bad? If the league deems to suspend him and decides to punish him, why are you protecting his money and his assets? But the Browns obviously made that decision. Now, everyone looked at the Browns and everyone said GMs around the league are saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to us? $230 million guaranteed for a guy like Deshaun Watson, for a guy that's coming off. Obviously, he was a great player before this, but coming off not playing the baggage that comes with him. What does that mean for us? What does that mean that we're going to have to do with our quarterbacks? And right away, we see the next contract that was given out was the contract given out to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's contract was a $230.5 million contract, which obviously was intended just to beat the contract of Deshaun Watson. But to Kyler, there was only $189.5 million guaranteed. Now, I say only, but still, that is unprecedented. Think about an Aaron Rodgers contract from a couple of years ago, where he made more money. His average salary per year is actually $50 million. It's almost $5 million more a year than Kyler Murray, and yet he received less guaranteed money in that contract, only $150 million guaranteed. So are we continuing to set the precedent? 
I just said all the GMs were angry at the Browns for giving all that guaranteed money to Deshaun, but maybe the Cardinals were doing the same thing. Now, the Cardinals, not only did they give all this guaranteed money to Kyler Murray, they kind of told you that they didn't want to give all this guaranteed money to Kyler, and they were almost forced to. By the mere fact that they put in a clause that they could get out of the contract from the clause, now obviously that backfired on them, but they put in a clause to the contract that that could potentially get them out of the contract within the next couple of years, showing you that maybe they didn't want to give all this guaranteed money, and they felt the pressure that if Deshaun got 230, now they had to give Kyler at least $190 million guaranteed. Now, whether the pressure is coming, like I said, from the media, but this pressure could also come from the agents. If an agent sees that a guy like Deshaun Watson gets $230 million guaranteed, then they're going to come to their client and say, hey, you can get this guaranteed money. Don't take less than that. That's the part where the teams are upset at a team like the Browns, upset at a team like the Arizona Cardinals saying, Kyler Murray, what has he done in the league? What has he done to deserve $190 million guaranteed? Clearly, this is a guy that you don't even trust. And you're giving him $190 million guaranteed. Deshaun Watson, you're giving him $230 million guaranteed. But let's look at these instances as individual instances. Just because Deshaun Watson got $230 million guaranteed, the Cardinals weren't forced to give Kyler the 190 guaranteed. And I think the biggest proof to this is the next contract we saw was to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson signed a $245 million extension with the Denver Broncos, and yet only $165 million of it was guaranteed. Now, I know I say only, but it's a lot. It's more than Aaron Rodgers still. But it's a lot less than Kyler Murray, and this is a guy who's won a Super Bowl, went to another, and has proven himself in the league. Yes, he's a little bit older. This contract runs till he's 40 years old over the next seven years. I understand that. But his average annual salary is higher than Kyler Murray's. It's higher than Deshaun Watson's, and yet they gave him less guaranteed money. All this is where people are coming in to say that Lamar Jackson is going to receive more guaranteed money than anyone in the league. And... It makes sense. The guy has won an MVP. The guy has been incredible on the field. There's no reason to think that he should not get as much money, at least as a guy like Kyler Murray, at least as a guy like Deshaun Watson. He hasn't had an off-the-field issue. He should get all this guaranteed money and more, right? And that's where I tell you, no, not necessarily. The Ravens, obviously going back years ago, signed a contract that they probably regretted when they signed Joe Flacco after the Super Bowl. This is a guy who won a Super Bowl for them, And they signed him to a huge deal because they had to. They felt like you have to guarantee all this money to him. The Ravens might be looking at the Browns, looking at the Cardinals and saying, what are you doing giving all that guaranteed money to these guys? Why are you setting this precedent? But that doesn't mean that they have to do the same. Is it assumed across the league that they're just going to throw a ton of guaranteed money at Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I'd say that's probably fair. But at the same time, we have to remember these are individual cases and individual circumstances. These are human beings making these decisions. If I set the market value for something at X dollars, then yes, that's what's going to cost going forward. But that said, this is different. These are human beings we're dealing with. The quarterbacks are human. The GMs are human. Just because the Browns GM spent that amount of money on Deshaun Watson, they're going to come back to Lamar Jackson, whether he asked for it or not, and say, we're not going to guarantee you that money. It's just not how it works. It's never how the business has worked before. We saw this happen now with Russell Wilson, where he's received significantly less guaranteed money than Deshaun Watson. I think the Ravens can do the same thing with Lamar Jackson. Now, what do I think will happen with Lamar Jackson? It's a weird situation. He's representing himself. He might be the one looking at Deshaun Watson and saying, $230 million for that guy in my division, that guy who has a criminal history, that guy who hasn't been on the field in two years, that guy who hasn't won an MVP, and I'm sitting here, I can do all those things. I can win you an MVP. I can win you playoff games. 
he might be saying, I'm worth more than Deshaun Watson. If he's getting all that guaranteed money, I should get more. And that's where the standstill is going to come into play. Now, if a deal doesn't get done in the next three days, I think this is going down a very, very specific road, and I don't think there's any way around it. I think we're going to see Lamar play his final year this year on his contract, and then he's going to get franchise tag next year. That's just how I feel it's going to go down. And then after a two-year sample size, we'll see where the market has gone. But don't be fooled. Just because one person did one thing, just because the Browns signed Deshaun Watson for $230 million guaranteed, just because the Timberwolves decided to trade all those first-round picks for Rudy Gobert, doesn't mean the next is going to happen. Russell Wilson gets only 165. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell only gets traded for three picks and two swaps. Yes, it happened. It set a precedent. But now it's a new precedent. Every single time there's something new. It starts over. It's a clean slate. And it's going to be another human decision that goes into this. And we can't assume based on what's happened so far that the next thing is guaranteed going to happen. Lamar Jackson, I know he wants his money. I know he deserves it. But just because another franchise did something dumb that they may live to regret, I don't think the Ravens are going to make that same mistake again, especially after they made it to Flacco a bunch of years ago. As I'm recording this, by the way, it is Labor Day. Um, It's Monday. And so I'm going to be in the studio in a little bit. I'm actually home now, but I'm going into the studio in about an hour to do some live shows. So that'll be fun. Uh, And speaking of human aspects of trades and the way things happen in sports and sometimes how we consider it to be completely just totally arbitrary and kind of robotic. And it's just, hey, it's just the media. It's just industry. It's just entertainment. It's not real, right? These aren't real people. We don't see it that way all the time. Um, And also speaking of money constraints, I read a fascinating article this morning from Ken Rosenthal on the New York Yankees. And I don't want to talk about this for too long because I plan on doing an NFL preview on this episode. Uh, And I will also preview the first game of the NFL season, the first game of the regular season, Thursday night football between the Rams and the Bills. So I don't want to spend too much time commiserating about the Yankees. The good news about the Yankees is guess what? Football season starts this week. So no matter what happens with the Yankees, we don't really have to worry about it anymore because we have football now. And uh, so the Yankees collapse has come just in time. Now, With all that said, the Yankees, obviously, all they would have to do was win 10 more games to finish with a 90-win season, which is remarkable considering how poorly they've played. But back to the human aspect of it, we look at the numbers around the league, and Aaron Boone said this in a post-game press conference over the weekend as the Yankees lost 2-3 of in Tampa, the lead in the division shrunk to 3, and Aaron Boone said, we still have the best offense in the league. We still score the most runs in the league. Yes, They built up a huge lead in runs totals. And even last week, like I said, against the A's, when they had that 13-run game, they have those games where they just blow teams out, where they score a ton of runs. We know they're capable of it. We know they have the personnel to do it. They just don't do it. And that kind of speaks more to Aaron Boone that if you're capable of scoring all those runs, then why aren't you doing it more often? Why is the offense always stifled? If you're capable of scoring that much run, that many runs, if you are the best run scoring team in the league, how come you keep losing games two to one, three to two? Even the game you won, Aaron Judge hits a home run and then manufactures another run where he gets a base hit, advances to third, and then scores on a sack fly. Aaron Judge was that entire run. So if you're so good at scoring runs, the team should be scoring runs more often. But there's the human aspect. They're not engaged and they're not being held accountable. If Aaron Boone after the game is saying, hey, we score so many runs, this, we're just I feel it, we're going to break out of this and not holding the players accountable. If he's after the game trying to lie to us in the media and saying, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa has been one of the best defensive shortstops I've seen, then how do you expect the players 
to then go out there and feel that they need to push and need to be better in order to keep their jobs, in order to perform at the top level. If there's no one behind them, if it starts from the top with this attitude of we're great, it's just that we're in a little bit of a rut right now. If it starts at the top with a lack of accountability, it trickles on down to the players. One guy who has been accountable, and it's a guy who I ripped on on the podcast last year, was Giancarlo Stanton. He's been awful since he came back from the IL. But he said that. He said, I don't want to be a blank spot in the lineup. I understand that. I need to be better. This is a guy who, remember when he struck out, I think it was four times in his first appearance at Yankee Stadium, the fans booed him. This is his first game at Yankee Stadium. The fans booed him. After hitting two home runs in his first game as a Yankee in Toronto, he comes home and the fans are already on him. And you know what he said? He said, if I was out there, I'd get booed too. I'd boo myself too. Not Garrett Cole saying, oh, the fans can do what they want. I know that I'm good. You don't know that you're good. This attitude of, oh, we're so confident in ourselves that we're so good, we're so capable, might be what's actually the downfall of the Yankees. If you look at over the last three years, go back to the pandemic season, the Yankees were 33-27 and 27 in that year. Then last year, if they don't have a 14-game winning streak towards the end of the year, who knows how many games they win? That was a terrible season last year as well. And they obviously lose in the wild card. And what they've done the last two months, I think they're about 10 games under 500 over the last two months. I don't think the blip on the radar is the last two months. This isn't the aberration. The blip on the radar was the beginning of the season when they were world beaters. This is more of the same. They're not getting any production from second base, from third base, from shortstop, Kiner Falefa, Torres, Donaldson, Hicks. It's one thing to say, okay, we're going to add a defensive catcher who's going to be a little bit of a downgrade at the plate in Jose Trevino, who's actually been decent at the plate, bat on ball type guy, because he's literally saving them runs behind the plate. That's a ball four called if Jose Trevino doesn't raise his glove at the end of that game, and then the bases are loaded, and who knows where the game goes from there. Trevino is a crucial part in them winning that game last night or on Sunday. So to sacrifice that spot in the lineup, kind of, okay, I can deal with that. But to sacrifice him in the lineup and then also sacrifice second base, third base, shortstop, especially when your shortstop and second baseman are not performing that great defensively, and Aaron Hicks in the outfield, that's one of your outfield spots, and he's been terrible defensively, when do you say is enough, enough is enough? The interesting article that I read from Ken Rosenthal this morning talked about how Brian Cashman has had all this money and yet has not produced. And if you look, he's made decisions that are clearly based on money. Harrison Bader is going to make less money than Jordan Montgomery next year. When he traded for Rugnet Odor, he was dumping salary. The trade that brought in Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner falefa was intended to dump salary. So if all these moves are just salary dumps, it's not like the Yankees aren't spending a ton anyway. They have a $243 million payroll this year. That's third most in the majors. Don't act like you're cheap. Don't act like you're poor. You're spending all that money. It's plenty of money to win a championship with. If you're Brian Cashman, I get it that you're trying to make these smart, savvy moves, but the smart, savvy moves are not the ones that have worked out for you. And how do you have a roster that's $243 million and simultaneously feel like you're never going for the big names? You're never actually trying to spend money and you're so conscious of every penny. $243 million is more than enough to build the championship roster. And the fact that the Yankees haven't done it is a real problem. And something that I did not know was that Hal Steinbrenner actually voted during the lockout for the penalties on teams going over the luxury tax to be even harsher. He wanted the luxury tax to be lower. He doesn't want to spend money on this team. And that's something that Hal has clearly shown. 
and he wants the tax to be lower and he wants the penalties to be harsher so that he has a better excuse to the fans of why he's not spending. And yes, $243 million is plenty. Like I said, that is a ton to spend on a baseball team. But relatively, it's not. I talked about this with a friend earlier who where when the NBA contracts go up and LeBron James makes $80 million a year because that's what the max contract is going to be, people are going to freak out. But LeBron James is worth $80 million a year. What he brings in in endorsements, what he brings in in advertising, what he brings in in ticket sales, what he brings in in merchandise, what he brings in in everything else, TV deals, all that stuff. LeBron James is actually worth $80 million. So Aaron Judge, whether you pay him $50 million a year or not, and I talked about earlier how I thought maybe they could structure the contract a little bit differently where you have to give Aaron Judge eight years, you give him an opt-out at the beginning, you give him, you backload it a little bit, you mess around with the contract to make the numbers work. Now, I you can't even do that. This guy has been their entire team. So you have to pay him the money that he wants. And if you let him walk and the Yankees don't win this year, that's going to be a real problem for Hal Steinbrenner, for Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone. And it's going to play out really interesting over the course of the offseason. We'll have to see where it goes. But right now, it's not looking good. And unless the Yankees turn around quick, and I don't mean winning 12 to 15 games just to get them to about 92, 95 wins. I mean, they need to win 20 games, get to 100 wins, show that they're actually back in order for me to buy in and say, yeah, this team is capable of winning a championship this year. As it stands right now, I doubt they are. But we don't care because football is back. So the Yankees can do whatever the hell they want, and I will not be watching. Uh, I will be watching. I do care. It sucks. But the NFL is back, and that's going to be the focus Thursday night. The first game, like I mentioned, Buffalo at LA. So, yeah, I'm ready for it. Um, And the Yankees, the way they've fallen apart and how pathetic it's been has made me even more ready for football. So I guess thank you to the Yankees for that. Not that I needed any more uh, of a push to be ready for the NFL. But I want to run through the divisions. And the way I'm going to do this is... I'm going to give you the win totals, the FanDuel over-under win totals right now as they stand. And then that way, based on that, you can decide what you think. I'm going to tell you if I think that that team is going to go over or under that win total. And then basically from that, we'll kind of talk about each team and what I think they're going to do. So I'm going to go division by division and start with the Super Bowl champions, with the LA Rams and the NFC West. And then the NFC West, the Rams are... Their win total is 10 and a half, and I'm going to go under. There's this injury concern that we have with Matthew Stafford. Look, they had to put everything into winning that Super Bowl. It wasn't an easy path. Obviously, with how they re-signed everyone, they brought everyone in, even bringing Odell Beckham in and him being a major part of what they did down the stretch in the playoffs, even in the Super Bowl before he got hurt. Matthew Stafford, if he's actually hurt and what's going on with his elbow, what's going on with his shoulder, the idea that they could just run it back and do it all over again is not going to be a simple task. And not only that, they might falter a little bit in the regular season. They might go through stretches where Cooper Cup's not going to be a triple crown winner again, don't you think? Is Aaron Donald going to be as good as he was the last few years? It's hard to imagine he could be even as good, definitely not better. So there are certain things that where there's a clear drop-off with this team. They don't have Odell Beckham. Obviously, they do get Allen Robinson to take that spot, and I think Allen Robinson is a very underrated receiver, and in this offense, he's going to succeed. But that all relies, again, on Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is not a young quarterback anymore. He's a little bit older. He's had a bunch of injuries, and if he's actually dealing with a shoulder and an elbow on his throwing arm, this could be a difficult season for them. 
I think all that said, they're so talented. They have so much on that team. They have the Super Bowl pedigree. They obviously have Sean McVay still. And we know that Matthew Stafford has played hurt, has played injured throughout his career. He's going to be a gamer. He's going to go out there. Cooper Cup is still as good as ever, even if he's not triple crown Cooper Cup. We talked about that with the fantasy stuff. He's still going to be really good. And so the over-under is 10.5. I think they win 10 games, so I'd go oh, I'd go under on the 10.5, but I still think they go 10-7 and seven and find a way to try and compete for that division. The San Francisco 49ers are at 9.5, and, and this is a weird number to me because there was a wrench thrown in this at the end. They obviously trust Trey Lance. There's obviously a lot of talent on this team around Trey Lance. On the defensive side, there's a lot of talent. And we saw this team is capable of competing with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. But that's a thing. Every time we've seen this team compete, it's been with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. Remember the one year that Jimmy Garoppolo was not the quarterback? The numbers are staggering between Kyle Shanahan's record with Jimmy Garoppolo and without Jimmy Garoppolo. So as much as we like to you know, look at Jimmy Garoppolo and crap on him and say, oh, he's not that great of a quarterback, the 49ers have been significantly better when Jimmy Garoppolo is their starting quarterback. So the nine and a half win total really to me is well, is Jimmy going to start a bunch of these games or is Trey Lance really that guy? And the fact that they re-signed Jimmy, I don't know what that means. Now, it could go either way because they re-signed Jimmy. So that means that if Trey Lance doesn't work out a few games in, you could just go back to Garoppolo and then, yeah, they could get 10 wins easily. They could get over nine and a half wins. Or is it they re-signed Jimmy because they don't trust Trey Lance so much, but they're still going to stick with Trey Lance and try and make it work. And then I don't see them winning over nine games. I'm going to take the under because I don't think after everything they've said, they're going to go back to Jimmy Garoppolo. Even though they signed him, he's the highest paid backup quarterback in the NFL. It kind of makes no sense. But at the same time, they keep saying that it's Trey Lance's team. And is Trey Lance that good? Is Trey Lance really that good that he didn't need Jimmy Garoppolo to be there? If that's the case, Jimmy Garoppolo wouldn't be the highest paid backup in the league. I think they win maybe eight or nine games. I think the roster is too good for them not to be competitive. And I could be proven wrong here. I think they go under the nine and a half wins. The Arizona Cardinals are at eight and a half. Arizona started the season off, what, seven and zero last year, eight and zero last year. If it weren't for that incredible start by the Arizona Cardinals, they would have been a seven and 10 team. That team was not a very good team. They got off to a really hot start. They don't have DeAndre Hopkins early in the year. Kyler Murray has his new contract. He's going to want to prove a lot of people wrong, but coming off that playoff game, Cliff Kingsbury, all that, I don't see them even winning eight and a half games. I'm going to say under, I think they are a seven and 10 team this year. The Seattle Seahawks over under is five and a half, and I think that's excessive. Their quarterback options right now are Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Like I said, I love Drew Locke's confidence, but he's not a good quarterback. And Geno Smith, bounce back season for Geno Smith. My father said that to me last night. We were on the phone, and he's like, I think Geno's going to have a bounce back this year. I don't even get it. Like, what are you bouncing back from? Do they still have Lockett? Do they still have Metcalf? Yeah, those are good receivers, but who's throwing the ball to them? I think Rashad Penny is a solid running back. I think they're going to end up relying on him a lot. But that defense that they invested so much in, the trade that they made for Jamal Adams, that hasn't worked out for them. I don't think their defense is winning them games anymore. And in a division that's going to be really tough with Arizona, with San Francisco, with LA, even though I don't think those teams are going to be as good as they have been in the past, I think there's no way Seattle wins five and a half or six games, I should say. I'm going to go under the five and a half for the Seahawks as well. Moving on to the NFC South and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. This division to me is a very bad division. And so this number kind of makes sense. If you think about it with all that's happened this off season where they lose Antonio Brown, obviously earlier in the year, Tom Brady turns a year older. 
He misses part of training camp. He retires, right? And then unretires. So there is more uncertainty surrounding Tom Brady than there has ever been. Even after he lost that game to Tennessee in the playoffs when he was in New England, I think that was more like, okay, that was a terrible Patriots team. And Tom Brady was the only piece on that team. Tom Brady, there's more uncertainty around him than ever. Now, Bruce Arian said that in practice, he's thrown the ball as good as he's ever thrown it. And that's what they're going to say. And does he look as young as ever? Yeah, but there's no Gronkowski anymore. Chris Godwin's hurt for the beginning of the year. I don't know what the status is of Russell Gage. Julio Jones, he's not Antonio Brown. Yeah, you brought in another receiver who's a little bit older, past his prime, but he's not just going to turn into Antonio Brown because he's washed. He's been washed for a few years. It wasn't like Antonio Brown was washed. He was just crazy. (laughs) And he was still a really, really good football player. So maybe they bring in a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know. But their line is still 11 and a half because look who they get to play. They get to play Atlanta, New Orleans, and Carolina six times out of the year. So I think 11 and a half makes sense. Even if you think Tom Brady is washed, he could easily rattle off 12 wins and seven losses in a 17 game season, right? 12 and five, sorry, in a 17 game season. That said, I'm going to go under. I think they do win 11 games. 11 and six is probably the number I'd take just because of the uncertainty surrounding Tom Brady and the offensive line and all those different things. I think I'm going to go under. That doesn't mean I think they're going to totally blow it. I think this division is going to be really hard for them to blow games in. Speaking of the New Orleans Saints. They're just going to put up a ton of points, and they're going to win games that way. We know they've had a lot of success against Tampa Bay specifically over the last couple of years. They lost Sean, they lost Sean Payton, but they do get Jameis Winston back at quarterback. They get Alvin Kamara back at running back. We'll see what happens with this team. The line is 8.5. I think they could be a 9-10 to 10 win team just because, like I said, they get to play Atlanta. They get to play Carolina. And from what we've seen, they've played really well against Tampa in the past. So I think they do ultimately get over the 8.5 win total. Carolina is at a 6.5 win total. And remember, Baker Mayfield at certain points was really good. He took the Browns to the playoffs. Like I said, I talked about this a while ago during the Deshaun Watson trade. I said, Yes, I think they had to make that move because if you can upgrade that position, you always upgrade that position. But at the same time, to me, it was like, how are you trading a guy who is the only one of the few quarterbacks in your franchise to take you to a playoff spot? Now, I think Sam Darnold sitting over his head is not helpful. I think the receivers outside of DJ Moore are not great. Christian McCaffrey, I don't trust that he could be healthy. I don't know how good of a coach Matt Rule is. That said, I think they're going to go under six and a half wins. I think they maybe win about six games. Atlanta, Kyle Pitts could win you a couple games alone, but that team is really bad. They decide to blow it up when they decide to trade Matt Ryan. They obviously decide to mail it in this year. This is going to be a rebuild season. And even though the line is only four and a half, I don't think they'll win four and a half games or five games. And I think I'm going to go under on Atlanta as well. In the NFC North, a division that's projected to be a better division than it's been because a lot of people like Minnesota this year. The Green Bay Packers over-under to me makes no sense. Yes, they lose Devontae Adams. Yes, it seems weird. There's a weird dynamic with Aaron Rodgers and the team. But 10 and a half wins? You think this team's going to be worse than Tampa Bay? The one thing that we've seen from the Packers and Aaron Rodgers over the years is that they're very capable of winning in the regular season. Does that translate always to the playoffs? No, usually it doesn't translate to the playoffs. But they've never had issues winning in the regular season. And I don't think it's going to start now. I'm going to go way over 10 and a half wins for the Green Bay Packers. I think they'll win at least 12 or 13 games this year. 13 and 4 makes sense for me. That's what Rodgers does. He wins in the regular season. Can it translate to the playoffs? I don't know. But the back-to-back two-time MVP, reigning MVP, he's going to win more than 11 games this football season. I go way over on the 10 and a half. 
a team that's people are saying is going to be really good this year also. And I'm a big believer in Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson's one of the best receivers in the league. They get a new head coach who's a very offensive-minded coach. I like what they're doing in Minnesota. The line is nine and a half. They get to play Chicago and Detroit a couple times a year. I'll take it. I think they go over nine and a half and win at least 10 games this season. The Chicago Bears line is five and a half, and that makes no sense to me. Yes, you get to play the Detroit Lions a couple of times, but you also have to pay the Packers. You also have to play Minnesota. And I think Chicago is another one of those teams that has completely gutted their team for the future. Five and a half seems high for me. I'm going to go under on the Bears, and I'm going to go under on the Lions as well. The number might be a little bit inflated because of hard knocks. Yes, Dan Campbell is easy to like. Jared Goff has gone to a Super Bowl, which is crazy to think. Aiden Hutchinson might win defensive rookie of the year. He's that good. He's been every bit as good as advertised. I think he really could win defensive rookie of the year and has a great shot at it. But the line is at six and a half right now. I don't see the Lions winning more than six games. Maybe they do win six games just by the sheer will of Dan Campbell. He will cry them to victory. But I think they win six and six total games, not more than that. And that's why I will go under on the six and a half for Detroit's wins. To the NFC East, and this is considered one of the weakest divisions in football. The teams that people like in the NFC East this year specifically are the Philadelphia Eagles. People are still iffy on the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the Cowboys always find ways to lose games. So, yes, I think Dak Prescott with another year removed from surgery. This is his second full year. We always talk about that. We talk about it with Joe Burrow. We talked about it with Cooper Cup. We talked about it with some of the running backs. Yes, I think this will be a really big year for Dak Prescott to come back. I hope he's not afraid to run anymore. Last year, it seemed like at times he was afraid to run and he was trying to throw it more than he had to. I love CeeDee Lamb. Maybe Zeke, you can get a little bit out of him. I hope they're not stubborn and they don't just keep feeding Zeke if he's not the guy anymore. But the offensive line has taken a step back. There's a lot of problems on this team. This defense gives up a ton of yards. We know about the interceptions, but if you throw at Trayvon Diggs that many times, he's bound to get some interceptions. I don't know if he's getting that many interceptions and that many pick sixes this year. The line is nine and a half. I'm going to go under. I think Dallas wins about nine games this year. Even if they have a great year from Dak, even with a great year from CD, I think the head coach situation is not great there with Mike McCarthy. There's a lot of issues in Dallas. I think they win about nine games. The Philadelphia Eagles, there's no reason to think they won't win more than nine and a half. Their line is also nine and a half. Think about it. They get to play the Giants. They get to play Washington. They get to play Dallas. That's a pretty easy schedule right there, just playing your division. And so the line nine and a half for the Phillies, if Hertz really takes that step that everyone thinks he's going to take with the new running back there, Gainwell, there's a lot to like in Philly. I think they win 10 games this year and win the division. So I'm going to go over on the nine and a half. The Washington Commanders are eight and a half. That's their win total. And the second half of the season, I don't know if you watched Carson Wentz the second half of the season, but he was God awful. Part of the reason why Jonathan Taylor won you all your fantasy leagues was because Carson Wentz was God awful. By the way, I use the same logic when I drafted Antonio Gibson. Carson Wentz is God awful. Halfway through the season, they're going to realize that and they're going to keep giving the ball to Antonio Gibson. So an eight and a half win total. Yes, I love Chase Young. Yes, I love Terry McLaurin. I don't think Carson Wentz is capable of winning you eight and a half games or nine games, I should say. I think they go under on the eight and a half. The New York Giants are an interesting team because they here have a seven and a half win total. And to me, that's like, how are the Giants going to win eight games this year? I don't even see any path to that at all. Yeah, the division's pretty weak, but I just told you 
two teams are probably going to win nine, 10 games this year. And then another team is going to win eight games this year, maybe seven games in Washington. How are the Giants going to win eight games this year? I don't see it. The line seven and a half. Even if Daniel Jones takes a massive jump, I don't think he's the guy. Even if Saquon is fully back to healthy, like we said, second year off the surgery, I still don't see it for the Giants. I think they win at most six games. Seven and a half seems like a tremendous number for me. I'm going to go under on the seven and a half for the Giants. We're going to stay in the East, but we are going to switch to the AFC and my Jets division, the AFC East. And the Buffalo Bills, and their line is 11 and a half. And that's the tie the largest line with Tampa in the league. But I think the Bills are so determined this year. After the way their season ended, I think Josh Allen has a chip on his shoulder. And he was already really good last year. I think he could have an MVP type season this year. I think Stephon Diggs is going to be one of the best wide receivers in football. They have Glenn Davis to stretch the field there. I like Devin Singletary out of the backfield. And their defense was a very underrated part of their team. Remember last year, they had a bunch of games, specifically the game against Jacksonville, where it was like, what are we doing? This team's better than that. Why are they having games where they can't put up any points, where they can't score? I don't think they're going to have that issue this year. Remember the game against New England, of course. That's not going to be an issue this year. I think they're going to make the necessary adjustments. I think they're going to be world beaters. 11 and a half wins. I'll take the over. I think they can win 12, 13 games, much like the Packers. I think they're going to be the best team in the AFC this year. The Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I said it. 11 and a half. I'll take the over. The next best odds are New England and Miami are tied right now. They have eight and a half as their win total. Eight and a half for Miami, eight and a half for New England. Now, for Miami, I talked about this. There's a scenario where it all goes right, where Mike McDaniels really is that guy, where Tua Tungavailoa is the guy that everyone loved out of Alabama. I could see that happening, and I could see them winning nine games. Even though this is a pretty tough division, I could see them winning nine games, even though they play the AFC North, which is a tough division to play, even though they play the NFC North, which could be a tough division. What I think helps the Dolphins is they finished third in the division last year which means they're going to play against a lot of the third-place teams. Remember they had the hot streak last year where they won seven games and they really didn't beat very good teams, but everyone was kind of saying how great they are? Like I said, maybe there was more of that in them. I think they can win nine games. I think Tua can take a leap. I think Tyreek Hill is going to help him tremendously. Jalen Waddell is another great receiver there. I think Mike McDaniels can prove that he's actually a really good coach in this league uh, and I think the Dolphins will win over nine games as far as New England I didn't see it with Mac Jones last year they babied him they didn't trust him and I just don't think the talent on this roster is there and I think Bill Belichick knows it and I don't know if you talk about who won Brady or Belichick it's Brady by a landslide Belichick needed Brady Belichick's drafts have been poor the skill positions are bad Mac Jones is not Tom Brady Eight and a half games, I'm going way under. I think they win maybe six or seven games this year. The New York Jets line to me is insulting. All everyone wants to talk about is how great the draft was from Joe Douglas. All anyone wants to talk about is Zach Wilson took that next step. But Vegas doesn't think so. And Vegas is usually right. That's what scares me when I look at this because the line is five and a half. That's less than the Detroit Lions. The Jets are projected to be worse than the Detroit Lions, according to Vegas. They have them at five and a half, and people are taking the under. I hear a lot of experts taking the under. I'm a homer. I know it, but to me, it just, it can't be under. Elijah Moore in his second year, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Michael Carter, improved offensive line, 
improved defense with Sauce Gardner, Zach Wilson in his second year. You get to play the AFC North, yeah, but you play Baltimore in week one. Maybe you steal a win there in a Joe Flacco revenge game. Maybe you beat Cleveland without Deshaun Watson in week two. There's a path for the Jets to win seven or eight games this year, and it needs to be seven or eight wins this year in order for them to stick with Zach Wilson and to keep it moving with him because if they don't win seven or eight games, it's going to be on to the next guy. It's a must-make-or-break season, must-win-make-or-break season for Zach Wilson, and five and a half wins seems awful low to me. I think they could win games against Minnesota, Chicago, Detroit. They could win those games. Yeah, I think Minnesota is going to be better, but I don't think they're going to be great. They're playing the teams that were the worst teams in their divisions last year. Now, that includes Denver, which sucks because they now have Russell Wilson. They have to play Jacksonville also, who people are think are going to take a jump. But five and a half is insulting to me. I'm going to take the over on the Jets. I think they, I hope they can win seven or eight games this year. To the AFC North and the best odds in the division are Baltimore. And it's simple math. Last year, they had no running backs and no defensive backs, and they still kept it together till the very end of the season. They were extremely competitive and extremely capable. Lamar Jackson was an MVP candidate till he got hurt. And the line is 10.5. I do think the Ravens will win 11 games this season. I'm going to go over the 10.5. I think there will be a tie at the top of that division. I think Cincinnati will also win 11 games, if not more. We talked about the second year after an injury. Last year, they kind of lucked their way into a Super Bowl. I think Joe Burrow is going to have an MVP type season. Remember, his rookie year, he comes into the league. He bursts on the scene. He surprises everyone, but they don't win any games. But you see clearly this guy has it, whatever it is, the intangibles, right? Joe Burrow had it. Joe Burrow had the capabilities. People are comparing him to Tom Brady right away, right out of the gate. But they're losing games, and then he goes down with the injury. And he comes back last year, and they had some games that were great. They had some games that were terrible. But really, they kind of got lucky. The Chiefs went to sleep in the second half of that game. They barely made it to the Super Bowl. They kind of limped to the Super Bowl, but that gives you a confidence. And people talk about the teams that lose the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, the next year, their wins drop tremendously. They usually go under 500. But I don't think that's the case with this team. The biggest problem with this team last year was they couldn't give Joe Burrow time. They couldn't protect him. They improved their offensive line. That was the number one priority this offseason. Nine and a half wins as the win total for Cincinnati. I'm going to go way over for the Bengals. They win at least 11 games this season. I think Joe Burrow has an MVP type season with Jamar Chase there, with Joe Mixon there, with the improved offensive line. I love what they're doing in Cincinnati. Yeah, you could say, hey, it was a real fluke last year. What's to say they don't revert back to the norm this year? No, they made improvements on the team, and that's why I think they're going to be even better this season. At the end of the last season, remember I said that I think they would revert. I think that Cincinnati would come back down to earth. But they did things in this draft, in this offseason, to ensure that that doesn't happen to them. The Pittsburgh Steelers are in danger of Mike Tomlin losing his first losing season, having his first losing record in a season in his career as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The line is seven and a half, and I think that's about right. Even if they go over that, what do they win? Eight games? They're about a seven, eight win team, no matter who the quarterback is, whether it's Pickett, Trubisky. There's a solid defense. There's a lot of good skilled position players. Najee Harris, obviously. Claypool and those guys. Pickens, the new wide receiver, obviously. Deontay Johnson. Yeah, a lot of skilled guys. TJ Watt on defense. Tons of skill on the defensive side as well. But they're not a really good team. Without the quarterback, we saw what they were even with Ben Roethlisberger. And there's the thought that Ben Roethlisberger was holding them back. And that's why they should win nine games this year. 
but there's also the idea that maybe they're just not that good. We'll see. I think Trubisky is an improvement over Roethlisberger. I'm going to go over. I think they win eight games, but it's going to be tough for them to get that ninth win for Tomlin to keep up his winning season record. I think they go eight and nine over the seven and a half, but under the winning season. The Cleveland Browns line for me doesn't make sense. Again, it's eight and a half. I don't think they're going to win many games without Deshaun Watson. And if the first 11 games of the season, they're what, two and nine? Even if Nick Chubb is tearing it up, I think they're not going to win a lot of games, especially in that division. They have three tough opponents who I said, the other three teams are at least eight plus win teams in the division. I don't see the Cleveland Browns winning nine games this year. I'm going to go under on the eight and a half, even by the time Deshaun Watson comes back, if he rattles off three, four wins in a row, he hasn't played in the NFL in two years. Need I remind you that I think under on the eight and a half for Cleveland, they could be looking at a five, six win season for the Cleveland Browns to the AFC South and the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts are tied for favorites in the division at nine and a half as they're over under Tennessee, there's no reason to think they can't do it again, other than the fact that everything they had to do was to do with Derrick Henry. So if you believe Derrick Henry can come back and be great, remember the defense was awful last year. Derrick Henry, there's put they've put so many miles on his body. I don't know if you could just turn around and hand it to him every time again, and he could just keep getting you yards. The way he worked was it was five yards, five yards, five yards, seven yards, five yards, eight yards, three yards, five yards. Just run it up the middle, tire out the defense. And at the end of every game, he'd just start breaking off crazy runs because nobody could tackle him. Whereas usually the running back's supposed to be the guy who tires out. It was the opposite. And it was the defense that was tiring out from Derrick Henry hitting them repeatedly. And he, that was their advantage. If he's not the same guy, if he's even 85% of himself, I don't think they can lean on him that heavily. Nine and a half, I'm going to go under for Tennessee. Yes, they were the best team in the AFC somehow last year. I don't know how. Their defense was awful. They had that game against the Jets. It doesn't make sense to me. If Derrick Henry is, like I said, if he's even 90% of the guy that he was in his prime last year before he got hurt, they're not a 10-win team. I'm going to go under on the nine and a half. For the Indianapolis Colts, I think the division is easy. I think they have Jonathan Taylor, and I think Matt Ryan is a huge upgrade over Carson Wentz, Michael Pittman out wide. I think this is make or break for Frank Reich. I think he needs to win 10 games. He needs to make the playoffs, and I think he will. I think they win over nine and a half games, win at least 10, win that division, and get into the postseason. The Jacksonville Jaguars are at six and a half wins as their win total, and I think that was the year from hell last year. I think there's a couple of wins to be had in this division, whether it's against Tennessee, whether it's against Houston, whether it's even against Indy. I think Indy winning 10 games, 10 and seven, you still can grab a win there if you are the Jacksonville Jaguars. And like I said, they're another team that's going to be playing the worst teams in their conference because of where they finished last year. Uh, six and a half, I think, last year, everything that went wrong could go wrong. There's no way everyone missed on Trevor Lawrence, right? Like, he can't be this bad, right? So I think Trevor Lawrence, it's he has to be better. If he's not, there's going to be some real questions out there. And Trevor Lawrence, I think, could lead them to more than six and a half wins. I say they win about seven games. If you think the Jets are capable of winning seven to eight games this year, I think you have to say the same thing about Jacksonville. They could probably win seven to eight games this season as well. The Houston Texans, their line is at four and a half. 
I say they win five or six games. I'm going to go over for them. I don't think it's going to be a tremendous improvement, but I think Houston is better than people give them credit for. I think Davis Mills is better than people give him credit for. And so while I think they will be at the bottom of that division and they will lose that division, I think they are capable of winning more than four games. And that's why I'm going to go over on the four and a half. And the final division is the AFC West. Kansas City has the best odds in the division with 10 and a half win total as they're over under. And I'm going to smash that over as hard as I can because that to me is insane. Yes, they lose their number one receiver in Tyreek Hill. We don't know if Kelsey is going to keep it up, but they sure up the offensive line a little bit. The defense is a little bit better. They work on the things where they needed to. They say they're going to be a little bit more of a power running team. And after the way they lost in the playoffs last year, after the way they beat Buffalo and then losing to Cincinnati, the way they lost to Cincinnati, I think Patrick Mahomes is mad. I think he wants to prove a point. I think he's upset that people are saying, ah, ha, ha, he's only a product of Tyreek Hill. He wants to show the world how good, he wants to remind everyone how good Patrick Mahomes is. And I think Patrick Mahomes will be on a mission this season. And I think that'll help the Kansas City Chiefs win over 10 and a half games. I think they win 12 games as well. They're one of those teams. They'll be right behind Buffalo if Buffalo wins 13 or 14 games. The Chiefs will be right there winning 12 or 13 games. The LA Chargers number is 10, and this number bothers me. I wish this was 10 and a half, and then I would just very calmly and easily go under. But this is a team that people are acting like they are the best team. Remember, they lost the game to Las Vegas last year. Las Vegas was a team that completely fell apart, and we'll get to them in a second. But the Chargers were anointing them as kings all of a sudden. Why? Because they've shown, shown some promise. They've also shown a tremendous ability to lose games at the end of games. Their coach mismanaging clock at the end of games. The one time I saw Justin Herbert, he wasn't that good. They're an inconsistent team. They're not a great defense. They're an inconsistent defense. I think Justin Herbert, yes, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But the reason I wish this number was 10.5 was because I'd easily say under and say they win 10 games. I think it's a push maybe. I think they win 10 games. If I have to choose one or the other, I choose the under and say they go nine and eight this year because the division's really good, because Kansas City's really good, because I just don't think they are that great. Denver is at nine and a half ahead of Las Vegas. I'm going to go under also. I think they win maybe nine or eight games. I think there could be four playoff teams in this division, but I think three of them might be at nine or 10 wins. Uh, and I think Denver's one of them. I don't think Russell Wilson is all that. Russell Wilson has shown that he's making business decision out there. He's not showing a willingness to put himself on the line. Maybe he wants to put himself back on the map and say, guys, this was Seattle. This was not my fault the last couple of years there. I'm better than this. I'm the guy who you think should have won MVP. I'm the guy who everyone talked about a couple of years ago. Do you know Russell Wilson hasn't gotten a single MVP vote? Like that conversation was pretty recent. And now it's like, oh, Russell Wilson is off. He's over the hill. So I think you can't jump from one to the other that quickly. But at the same time, even with his new seven-year, 250-whatever-it-is million-dollar contract, I don't know if Russell Wilson is the guy that I'd give my franchise to for the next seven years, especially as he's going to be reaching 40 at the end of that contract. Nine and a half wins is the win total. I'm going to go under. I say they win nine games. The Vegas line is eight and a half for the Las Vegas Raiders. And like I said, last year was the year from hell with the John Gruden stuff, with everything that that ownership, that franchise group, that front office group put them through all the different things, the Henry Ruggs situation, it was it could not have gone worse. And yet they make the playoffs. They win a playoff game. They win that game at the end of the year to get into the playoffs against the Chargers. Like, do we remember all these things that Vegas was able to do last year? I think the defense is good enough. They add Devontae Adams, who's a good friend. 
of car of Derek Carr. I have money. I have plus money, a lot of money on Derek Carr to win the MVP as a sleeper. I like it. I like that pick. I didn't put a ton down because it's going to be a big bet. It's going to be a big payout. He's not a very high favorite. Eight and a half win totals to me is disrespectful for the Raiders. I think with everything they went through last year, now they have Josh McDaniels as their head coach. That should stabilize things for them. His second time around getting another chance at a head coach at a head coaching position. We saw what he did in New England with Tom Brady. I think he can try and do the same thing with a great wide receiver. We saw what he did uh, with Randy Moss. Maybe he could do the same thing with Devontae Adams now out there. Maybe Josh Jacobs has a little bit of a revival, or they do running back like by committee, like McDaniels has proven he likes to do. I think eight and a half is a low number. I think they win 10 games and make the playoffs out in Vegas. So that's the final teams. I, I gave you everything. Uh, if I had to give a Super Bowl prediction, uh, and I haven't thought about this yet, so this is live. Me just thinking, I honestly think Buffalo is angry. I think they want to win so badly. I think Green Bay wants to prove a point. I think those two teams will meet in the Super Bowl. And I'm going to say Green Bay over Buffalo. I think we will see a rematch in the AFC Championship game of Buffalo and the Chiefs. And I think this time Buffalo will come out on top and I think they will go to the Super Bowl. And I think Green Bay will beat Buffalo in the Super Bowl. That's my prediction for the season. Green Bay over Buffalo. I'm telling you now on Labor Day before the NFL season starts. And if I'm wrong, well, we're all wrong. That's that's our job. We're in the media. We're wrong. But Thursday Night Football, I want to run through this quickly, uh, and then I'll get out of here. The Buffalo Bills, like I said, are going to play in L.A. against the defending Super Bowl championship Rams. They're going to be getting their rings. There's a ceremony, that whole thing. And Buffalo is favored by two and a half. So right away, people are looking at this and saying, ah, there's some iffiness right there with Stafford. We haven't seen him play, blah, blah, blah. The injuries, we don't know. And clearly, people think Buffalo is mad, and they want to win bad. And I'm going to take Buffalo and the points. I think Buffalo will come out and make a statement right from the start to start the NFL season. They want to make a statement on Thursday night football and say, we're here. We are ready to do this this year. I'm so excited for football. I think the Bills are also. Josh Allen is on a mission to win an MVP this year. I think, uh, like I said, there's a couple sleeper picks in there. If you want Joe Burrow to win MVP, if you want Derek Carr to win MVP, Patrick Mahomes to win MVP. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tough race, but... Josh Allen feels like he has a lot to prove, and that's always good because he's a really good quarterback and he's done a ton in the league so far. But him having a chip on his shoulder, him feeling like he has something to prove, I think that's going to go bode well for the Buffalo Bills. I think it starts Thursday night. I think they go into LA and they beat the Rams, beat the defending Super Bowl champions, and that starts them on their run to a Super Bowl if they don't win it. Uh, but I think they are going to at least make the Super Bowl this year. Um, and it starts against the Rams on Thursday night, favored by two and a half. Like I said, I'm taking Buffalo and the points minus two and a half to win the game outright and win by at least three points. Uh, so that will do it. I'm going to come back and record Thursday night after the Thursday night football game, where I'll run through the slate of all the, uh, other games. By the time you hear this, it'll probably be Tuesday because uh, I'm recording this on Monday, but I have to jump in the studio now. So by the time I edit this and everything, it'll probably be Tuesday by the time you hear this episode or late Monday night. So you're probably getting back into your work week after a long weekend, but you know that it doesn't feel that long this work week because it's a four-day work week. And on Thursday night, in the middle of it, we have football again. Like I said, Buffalo and the Rams, I can't say it enough. Football is back. So I'm going to come back Thursday night after the game, recap the Thursday night game, 
give you all my picks for Sunday's games, and then we'll take it from there. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited for this. You may not even hear me mention the Yankees, depending on how this series goes with Minnesota and then the Rays again. You may not hear me mention the Yankees again. I, uh, if you like the open, let me know. I thought that was just an interesting point uh, on the Lamar Jackson contract situation. That doesn't mean we won't see a contract from Lamar Jackson in the next coming days. By the time I release this episode, he could be signed to a long-term contract. I don't know. Uh, but And then I'll have to re-record the open. But until then, I will see you all next time. Please share the podcast with a friend if you liked it. Um, and uh, subscribe and do all that good stuff. Until next time, see ya. Football's back. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Birds flying on the highline With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got Shot and prospect. Take them long walks on my time spin. Just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Keep flipping off a blind deck. Dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit. Walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city. Ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving. East side be the only side that I'm riding.
I'm still here. 